Today's podcast is brought to you by Season 2 of the UCB Show, streaming exclusively on CISO, which is NBC's digital comedy platform. The UCB Show, presented by the founding four of Matt Besser, Amy Poehler, Ian Roberts, and Matt Walsh, is filmed in front of a live audience at the UCB Sunset Theater in Hollywood. Showcasing the best sketch comedy, stand-up, and characters you can find regularly in the UCB theaters in L.A. and New York City. To watch the UCB show, go to CISO.com. If you sign up with promo code COMIC, you'll get two free months of CISO. That's right, two free months of unlimited ad-free comedy delivered to your favorite devices. It's only $3.99 per month after that. I'm a subscriber, and I like to call up new episodes of Saturday Night Live on Sunday mornings so I can zip through it without all of the ads. CISO also has a library of classic comedy from America and Great Britain, plus new original series including Bajillion Dollar Properties, Take My Wife, and Harmon Quest. If you've enjoyed my podcast interviews with Janine Garofalo, Lori Kilmartin, Cameron Esposito, Doug Stanhope, or Brian Prosane, then you can check out their newest stand-up specials immediately afterward on CISO. Go to SEESO.com to start your free trial and get exclusive access to the UCB show, plus much more in streaming comedy. Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Matt Eisman was a jock when I first knew him as a college classmate of mine at Princeton. After graduation, Matt went to med school to become a doctor, only to diagnose himself as a comedian instead. Since then, he has shared an Emmy win for the cable show Clean House, hosted Sports Soup, and also Screenplay on E! And he's appeared in TV ads and on the big screen in Transformers 2. But you know him best now as the host of NBC's American Ninja Warrior. And he's a contestant on Arnold Schwarzenegger's season of The Celebrity Apprentice on NBC. What's it like to rub shoulders with Arnold? and a bunch of people who were famous when Matt and I were kids? I asked him, so let's get to it! Uh, so, tiger, 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 sis, 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 boom, 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 (laughs) ba. Matt Eisman, Matt Eisman, Matt Eisman's on the podcast! A good locomotive to start it off. (laughs) So, last things first, um, we have a lot to talk about. Yes. But I want to start with, I just got a thing in the mail over the holidays from our class. We went to college together. Yeah. And it had all of the people who uh, had given money. Yeah. I guess you paid class dues. Hey, yeah. And uh, it, and it said Dr. Matt Eisman, right? MD. It still says It that. still says MD. Yeah. Well, I mean, like my dad pointed out, you'll always be an MD, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It's just a degree. It's a gra- I'm a graduate, so right. I do keep my license current, though, in case everything goes to hell. But at this point, it's it was 17 years ago I left medicine, and I would be I would be a lethal weapon if they let me in a hospital. <laughs> no one would. No one would insure me at this. point. Wait, so if somebody got injured on the set of American it's Ninja, happened. Ninja it Warrior, happened. we actually had a guy, Alan Keneally, separated his shoulder, and everyone's kind of looking at me because it was a pretty serious injury. Like mm-hmm. the paramedics were there, and they were like, "Were you going to come down?" And as I'm as I'm kind of figuring out how I can delay it even further, mm-hmm. uh, one of our other competitors, Noah Kaufman, who is an actively practicing ER doc, goes and puts the shoulder back into the joint. I was like, oh, 
Oh, you get the, I'll get the next one. All right. All right. You, that was your turn. Uh, no, I know, I, I know I'm, I'm awful. I'm dangerous. Just don't have to be dangerous anymore. When is, speaking of dangerous, you're on crutches. I'm on crutches. I had surgery. So I have, I have rheumatoid arthritis, chronic autoimmune disease, mm-hmm. and it had, um, done a lot of damage to my feet really initially before I started getting treated, but it's just kind of compounded over the years. And then at Ninja Warrior, while we were in Vegas at the finals, I tried one of the obstacles, the flying squirrel, where you on camera six or not feet on down. It was, it was at the very end. It was after six days of taping mm-hmm. as the sun's coming up. And uh, so I just had my buddy film it with my phone. Okay. And so it's on camera. Like it's on my YouTube page. And I just, I failed miserably. But the, the bones had been so damaged that when I missed on the tramp, it dislocated one of the foot bones. Aye. And so I... I totally covered though. I like, okay. I fell in the water. I was like, Oh yeah, I meant to do that. It was awesome. Meanwhile, I'm like, ow. <laughs> uh, so I had to have surgery. They shaved the mm-hmm. bone down, put pins in my feet. And so it should be better, but it's been a kind of a reminder of what a drag it is getting old, <laughs> especially when you have a chronic disease. Well, at least you did that after taping of that and after taping Celebrity Apprentice. Right. So you didn't have. Right. No, this, and I scheduled it so it's just been over the holidays. I've, I've just been sitting, I'm on my couch mm-hmm. where I have spent, uh, pretty much 21 days, uh, sitting here watching TV and movies and <laughs> the Breaking Bad marathon and Hallmark movies, Hallmark Christmas mm-hmm. movies. Way too many of them. Even though you're on TV now, Monday nights. Yeah. And I'm, um, well, so Monday night. So Monday night rolls around for and I was thinking of for the premiere of Celebrity Apprentice and I was going to watch it here at my house. And then uh, Carson Kressley reached out and he's like, hey, John Lovett is a room at a hotel. Mm-hmm. We'll go watch it together. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger reaches out and he's like, I'm you guys can come over and watch with me. So we watched. I was sitting on the couch next to Arnold mm-hmm. watching Arnold and me on TV. <laughs> and I look, it's obvious whether you watch it. I'm a huge Schwarzenegger fanboy. Like. He was it. If you grew up in the 80s, you love his movies, you know, Terminator, Commando, mm-hmm. Predator. And so I'm sitting there like it was really one of the most one of the most surreal and, and coolest Hollywood moments I've had being out here sitting next to Arnold in his house watching us on Apprentice. So just think when when you were 18 showing up in Princeton, New Jersey to play baseball right. and then go to med school. Like the idea, the idea that you would be sitting on the couch with Arnold Schwarzenegger at some point in your life, let alone be on television, let alone be on a reality show. Yeah. Had to be the furthest thing from your mind. Well, it, it's funny. I think I'd always, I always, I was a younger brother, younger, I have one, one older brother. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I always liked the spotlight. I, I used humor. My brother would, like brothers do, we'd fight. And so my defense mechanism was humor, mm-hmm. you know, either if he's laughing, he's not going to be punching. And, but I never thought entertainment was a viable career path. Like if you, you know, you, you go to college, you go to a graduate school or you get a job, you work, a, you get a career. Right. And I, I'd never considered entertainment uh, an option. And I didn't even, I mean, even, as, as I kind of had the realization after I get my MD and I'm doing residency and I have the realization my heart's not in it and I start to think, what else could I do? I still didn't think entertainment was going to be a career. I thought of it as some people might take a year and travel the world or, or go be a ski bum or something. And I thought, you know what? 
I'll, I'll move to L.A. I'd done stand-up a few times in New York, and I, and I really enjoyed it. But I thought, I'll just go take a year, do stand-up, clear my mind, figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. How I'll you know, switch from internal medicine, which I was doing my residency, into emergency medicine or whatever solution it, it is. But even as I moved out to L.A., I didn't think this would end up being a career. And it's just, it's I didn't know anyone. Where did, where did you move to L.A. from? So I was doing residency in Colorado. So I did uh, Princeton, then is I went that, to Columbia for med from, school. Colorado? I'm from Colorado. I was home where my dad was a professor. Mm-hmm. He's a professor at the University of Colorado where I was doing residency. And uh, so moved out. I got a U-Haul, drove out listening to Brian Regan, and uh, drove here and started doing stand-up. And it was within... What year was that? That was 99. Okay. So I moved out September 1, 99. And I would say before October, I knew I was never going back. I was just, I fell in love with performing and being on stage. And, and mind you, these were awful open mics. And it wasn't like I was killing. I was probably bombing more than I was getting laughs. But there was just something that it just felt like this is what I was meant to do. What was the, what was the, the scene like in 99? Um, you know, I, I, the comedy scene in LA is, is the entertainment scene is fantastic. I don't think the stand up scene is necessarily great. I think the open mics, um, when I look at the, the open mics in Denver, for instance, you go and even bad ones, there'll be a few real audience members, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, when you go to an open mic in LA, it's comics and stage time is precious here. And I think even when you are in the good stages, I don't think that they compare to the cellar or, or uh, Gotham or stand up New York or any of those places. I think New York tends to get, you know, on a Tuesday night, you'll still have like a sold out room at the cellar with real fans, right. real people coming to see comedy. And in LA, I, I feel like the scene's a little different. Um, I feel like people are a little more jaded to entertainment. Um, that said, I think because of all the other entertainment opportunities, the standups out here are still excellent. And I look at, you know, I, I, I see most of the people who I think are great in New York eventually will make their way out to L.A. in some fashion because they look to do writing or performing or, or take the career to the next level. And they're just it seems more more overall opportunities out here. But I, I think the stand up scene in New York is is much more robust. In, in 1999, though, did it seem even more jaded and. Well, you know what? I didn't know, I guess. I mean, I, I, I what started to think was going to happen. I, when I moved out, I, I think, I, you know, I, I thought I would do this for a year and then I would kind of come to my senses and go back to medicine and, mm-hmm. and realize this is what I was meant to do. And maybe and be find the some funny passion. doctor. Something, right. Patch Adams, something <laughs> like that. And then when I realized I love stand up, I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but I just felt like, um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it, but I, I just felt like I am going to work my ass off and find a way to make a living at this. And, um, it was really ill conceived. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't much plan. And it's not like early on I was killing and people were saying, you need to be a headliner early on. The, the only way I supported myself, I stumbled into commercials pretty early on and was making good money doing commercials, but stand up, um, was was really you know and still remains i i think stand-up is still is still very hard to earn a living at. and i think the guys who and girls who do it full-time i have tremendous respect for as i look at it unless you're a name unless you're bill burr selling out theaters 
Like the the money you make on the road is not is not great, and you're spending a lot to get there to get to get to the locations and and um, you know the older you get, I think the less willing you are as you start to settle down or look at a family, and the prospect of being on the road forty fifty weeks out of the year gets gets harder to stomach. So, um, the scene the scene when I was going, I, what I will say though was, I think what what was most attractive about it was the talent that I saw. I saw so many great comics. I mean, this was when Dane Cook, I think, was starting to land and guys like, you know, Johnny Sanchez was around. Uh, Patrice O'Neill would, would come out here. Mm-hmm. You know, Alonzo Bowden. Um, you saw a lot of comics who I think were just monsters on stage. And I think for me, I, the, the proximity to it, being around great comics, um, even though I was by no means a great comic myself. Mm-hmm. When you're around them, I think you feel like uh, it's more tangible, and you kind of see you see how they work, you see how hard they work, and you start to it feels uh, real. It feels more real than when I was in Denver, for instance. Entertainment seems you know, you know like it's on another planet. But right. when you're here and you're around those comics, um, you know you start to feel like, hey, these people are doing it. I'm around people who are doing it. This right. is it's tangible. Accessible. Yeah. Who, you mentioned that the guys who were who were just breaking around 2000. Who were the who were the the other open micers that you were running with? You know, so the who was your class? Of so open the micers? two guys who who I became best friends with, Michael Batts and PJ Walsh, um, who both moved out coincidentally. We we both moved out, or all three of us moved out, September one ninety nine, and mm-hmm. within a month and a half we met. And that's you know that's one of the things when people ask me what do you do. The two pieces of advice are, if you're thinking of doing stand-up, is A, do it. You just mm-hmm. have to do it. There's no substitute for performing. And B, find find a group of friends who share your passion and who have a similar hunger. And it was one of those things, having friends to drag you out to the open mics when you didn't feel like going or someone who, hey, I know a show out here in uh, wherever, Covina, and I got us all on it. And then, you know, you return the favor. Um, those were, those were really my crew. And then I was hanging out with guys like Dwayne Perkins, mm-hmm. um, Dan Smith, Courtney Cronin, who's become an Emmy award winning writer, Aisha Tyler. Um, that was really kind of the group of, of who I was spending the most time around. Right. Cause you're usually like seeing each other at the same shows. And- yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Dwayne was obviously a little more established than we were. And, and as was Aisha, uh, but I think we all we all really got along well, and um, they were the ones I was seeing. I also, you know, I remember early on Sam Tripoli and Ari Shafir okay. yeah, yeah. were out here, and they were they were again more advanced than I was, but but just great guys who I who I who immediately though I just saw like these are funny people. And one of the things, you know, with on the one hand, it's it's a very subjective business, but. What I've noticed is I've now been, you know, over 17 years in L.A., the people who I thought were the most talented have 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 made careers. Mm-hmm. They may not be making $20 million a movie, but they've been recognized. They've all done well. If they haven't quit, there were a lot of people who I think were hilarious who just decided this wasn't for them and, you know, got married, moved away, got a job, whatever. Well, it's uh, a grind. Else. It, it is. And that's – it's – um you know, God, I, remember, I was just talking to somebody going, this is a ridiculous profession we've, <laughs> we've chosen. Although, you know, I, I will say, you know, having, having been at Princeton and having so many friends who went into finance and, you know, E.G. Morse, yeah. who was a guy who was at Bear Stearns when it imploded. And, and to me, watching that happen, watching the, 
a profession that was seemingly the safe way to go, mm -hmm. doing finance. And to see people lose their fortunes and losing jobs reminds you – I think Jim Carrey gave that speech of, you know, you can lose your job doing anything. You can – nothing is really guaranteed. It's much more overt, obviously, in entertainment. But on the other hand, we love what we do. And I, I don't know anyone, I think, who – looks forward to going to work as much as I do or my friends in entertainment. I mean, you know, for us, our job isn't a job. Our job is getting the job. It's everything around it. It's when you don't actually have right. a job. That's when it's the hardest thing to do. Did you have, did you have money saved up when you made the move or did I you did. Have my to... grandparents had helped with medical school. Otherwise okay. I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done it. And because I mean, within a month and a half, I was booking national commercials. I was making, five times as much as I was a doctor oh, wow. before like within, within six months. How'd you get the first commercial? Um, so I went, I, one of my dad's patients was on the Drew Carey show mm -hmm. and she, they needed extras for a softball game and I played baseball in college. So she got me on. And when I went, the guy who booked every other uh, player there, said, do you have an agent? Mm -hmm. I said, no. And he's like, well, let me represent you. And then he started sending me out on commercials. So it was, you know, random luck that I meet an agent and he sends me out for commercials and I started booking them. And what was that first one? Do you the know first that? one I got was a Pontiac commercial where I looked like a secret service agent, didn't say a word. <laughs> and it's crazy. I mean, commercials back then, when you'd get a national spot, you know, it could be ridiculous money for right, a it can, it could be like a year's salary it if it's be... a national... Campaign. And, and I stumbled into pretty early on. I, I ended up being the voice of DirecTV for about three years, which was crazy money. I mean, I would have on average probably five national spots going simultaneously because they'd have a campaign going mm -hmm. and, you know, four or five different spots in that campaign. And I'd be the voice at the end of each of them. How did that change what you wanted out of your comedy career? I, it didn't. It just made it possible. And, and I guess, I guess for me, I've never, you know, in, in my heart, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a comedian, mm -hmm. although I don't perform stand up nearly as much as I used to. And I've, I've obviously made my living hosting. Mm -hmm. And, but for me, I always consider comedy kind of my, what defines my career. You know, <laughs> I can watch Ninja Warrior. I'm not funny on Ninja Warrior. You wouldn't know I'm a comedian on the show. And yet I think I got the show because I did stand up comedy. I actually got it mm -hmm. because I was on Sports Soup. Um, and you know, which combined comedy and sports. Right. Right. So there was, a, there was a one or two year period where they were trying to franchise the soup into all the other, they did everything. They yeah. did web soup, fashion soup, um, sports soup. And then yeah, wasn't, the original wasn't soup. Hardwick. The Hardwick web did web soup. Web on soup and you were sports soup. I was sport. Danielle and, Fischel did, um, and was that, was Aisha still doing regular soup or no? no at that point, on? Aisha had moved on. So it was Mikhail. Okay. I Mikhail think Aisha, at that point, she, she was doing like 24 mm -hmm. or Friends right, or right, Ghost right. Whisperer. I don't think she'd done the right, talk right. yet. Uh, the first time though, the first time I saw you, you were hosting some weird sports-like reality competition on E? Screenplay, which was the very first gig I got. And so it was, uh. Cause I remember seeing you. It was a you, Fear Factor ripoff. And I was like, wait. I went to school with a Matt Eisman. Because <laughs> I, no, I had no idea at the time. Yeah. It was a were... great prep. So it was a guy, it was a guy, Joel, Joel Klein, who'd worked on mm -hmm. uh, Fear Factor. And the idea was it was the same as Fear Factor. You do these ridiculous stunts or challenges, but rather than have them be simply, we're going to make you eat donkey semen, mm -hmm. 
everything was based on a movie. So the pitch was, imagine, you know, on top of Nakatomi, mm-hmm. um, John McClane having to jump off, you know, with the fire hose wrapped around. Like, we're going to recreate some of the most iconic stunts from movies with fear uh, in screenplay. Right. But then because it was uh, A, uh, cable budget, and B, <laughs> at that point, to, to use any clips, you had to get sign-off, not just from the studio, but from the actors. And this was when E was at its tabloid worst. Mm-hmm. So we could get zero clearance and zero budget. So we'd end up doing like, in The Omen 3, you'll recall Damien's nurse was... It, so it was one of those ideas, good concept, poor execution. So, But screenplay... Um, led to a home makeover show called Clean House, oh, right. where what happened is they were recasting a role and they needed time to go through the casting. And so they knew about me from screenplay and they're like, mm-hmm. look, we'll have Matt fill in for two episodes while we do a more exhaustive research for this role. And then I went on and they're like, you're, you're actually fine. We'll stick with you. And I did five and a half years on that show. We did a spinoff show. We ended up doing like 200 episodes combined. And there was you and Nisi an Nash and Mark Burnett's and Trish Sir. Yeah. <laughs> and Nisi Nash, who meanwhile was on Reno 911 and now yeah. has gone on to um, getting on and uh, uh, Screen Queen. I mean, she's Emmy nominated yeah. as an actress now. Did so, you... but that show led to, led to Clean House. Clean House helped me get Sports Soup, Sports Soup. I got offered American Ninja Warrior because of Sports Soup. So that first right, gig... Right, because Ninja Warrior started on G4. G4. So the first gig I ever got back in 2004 led to the job I have now. And that is obviously why I got Celebrity Apprentice is because Ninja Warrior is on NBC. And right. It's nepotism. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really a celebrity. Let's... I, I'm, I'm does... does okay, before... I, I have other questions, but before, since you bring that up, does it bother you or does it make you breathe easier knowing that when they list when they articles talk about this season of celebrity apprentice they don't normally mention you uh, well does that bother you or does it make you feel easier because uh, usually they're slamming the people on the cast you know i i i have i'm very well aware why people go on these shows mm-hmm. it's either to try to launch your career or resuscitate it you know no tom cruise isn't going on this <laughs> show saying i'm looking to promote my right. new mission impossible movie it's we're we're all people who are whose careers are looking for a boost, um, which is, you know, it's easy to make fun of people who are mm-hmm. semi desperate. And by going on this show, I fully acknowledge for me, this is a big opportunity. I think um, American Ninja Warrior is a very well-known show, but a lot of people don't necessarily know me or know, you know, that, the fact that I do comedy or that I was mm-hmm. a doctor. So going on this show, you know. Uh, you go in realizing you definitely open yourself up to being mocked, to to looking like a, a douchebag, to looking like an idiot, to being embarrassed. Uh, but at the same time, you 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 also say, for me, the upside is people get to know a different side of me. And mm-hmm. the real upside, too, is I have rheumatoid arthritis and I get to go represent my charity. And right, because Celebrity Apprentice is about... Yeah, which which sharing. often gets which often gets overlooked and may not be as <laughs> key a point. Maybe we just you know kind of assuage our own egos as to why we do it, saying that you get to try to make a difference. But um, yeah, I mean, I you know it's it's funny like when when you're on a show, but they don't even think you're worthy of being made fun of. You're not that famous. <laughs> just, there's definitely, I mean, this there's a lot of uh, of being put in your place in, in, involved in this show. Okay, so this brings me back to what I wanted to ask. So 
in terms of being put in your place, where does Celebrity Apprentice rank? Uh, where would you put that between? Uh, d- you said you've done one Friars Club roast. Yeah. And you've also um, uh, attempted to do comedy at your college reunion. Ugh. <laughs> where? <Oof. laughs> because I remember you trying to talk me oh into doing God. it as well. And I I will say it. Wait, I declined. For those who don't know, our Prince Reunions is epic. It really is mm-hmm. a phenomenal gathering. It's people coming back. And it is a massive party, but no one is there to listen to someone tell jokes. <laughs> and I learned that lesson the hard way. You were the re- um, I did the t- I did it for ninety two at their tenth, and but I did do it. I did do it at a different time where we did it at Alexander Hall. Mm-hmm. That was great. Okay, where it was like during the day, and it was like, right. hey, come if you want to see comedy. Right, because you're in the as theater, opposed to perform at the tent and be inflicted on everybody. Because I remember you coming up to me at our tent. Trying to like do some sort of talent thing. I don't know if that was your job or. Oh, you were that the- might have been when I was running the reunion. Yeah, and I was hammered the entire time. And I think I led a locomotive for President Shirley. <laughs> she was like, "Just, just knock it off, Eisman." Um, yeah, but you know, like, here's the thing. Like going on to, I, I don't mind looking like a jackass. I don't mm-hmm. think I take myself too seriously when I when I left medicine and went to comedy. Obviously, I, you know, I get it. It's it's kind of a, a ridiculous pursuit. So going on to Apprentice, I think I think. I like to think I'm ready for, you know, whatever. If people, I mean, somebody, there've been a few articles that I, I think it's an easy show to mock the mm-hmm. contestants on. And, and I saw one that, that was kind of making fun of saying how nobody looked, they like, nobody looked, none of the contestants looked like they even wanted to be there except hi, hyper caffeinated <laughs> Matt Eisman, who seems overly thrilled to be there. And I don't know. I mean, for me, I've always been like an enthusiastic guy and mm-hmm. someone who enjoys it. And honestly, American Ninja Warrior. I mean, I have a job because I'm enthusiastic and look, I love Schwarzenegger and for me mm-hmm. getting to meet him and I'm a huge crew fan. Like in 92, I remember going, to the Brendan Byrne Arena during the Motley Crue tour, like seeing Dr. Feelgood and seeing Vince Neil and Ricky Williams. And I'm hanging around all these people who I'm fans of. Right. And so it really was like for me the whole time, I'm, I had a blast. I'm sitting there like I'm sure for some of them, they're like, what am I doing in my career? You know, for right. Vince Neil, for instance. Right. Like I used to rock out in front of, you know, 100,000 people at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> and now I'm hanging out with this douchebag from American Ninja Warrior <laughs> who's telling me about seeing me on the Feel Good Tour. Right. So for them, I could see where it could be. And Boy George and John Lovitz is like, yeah. what is this? I mean, like Boy Rogue's George. Gallery. I completely hit it off with Boy George. And it's just, it was amazing to me to think of, like, I remember in high school, that's the first man I ever saw wearing makeup. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking this guy, you know, is someone who I don't have any contact with. Like, mm-hmm. there's no one in my world even remotely like this. And now I'm hanging out with this guy and having a conversation with him and consider him a friend. And it was like, it was a really cool opportunity. And then, and then to get to do, you know, like the very first task is we're putting makeup on at a Tyra Beauty event with Tyra Banks in the audience telling us to smize. And, you know, on the one hand, it could be like really sad, like, my God, my career has come to this. But for me, I was like, this, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the opportunities uh, that we had. It was it was surreal. And it's been surreal watching it. And and what's really different, too, is I've been involved in reality TV, but I've been the host. I've been the one. I don't risk anything on Ninja right. Warrior. The athletes are out there. They're the ones who can fall and, you know, who we can laugh right. and sh- sh- not laugh at, but show it in slow motion. You're not concerned about how it's going to be edited when you're the host. You know, it's right. Exactly. And on this show, 
like we haven't seen a cut. So when it airs, I'm watching along with everybody, hoping there's not some moment where I'm like, oh, I completely <laughs> forgot I said that. I should tell my mom not to watch this episode. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I've, I guess I've done enough stuff where I've looked ridiculous in the past that I'm, uh, I feel like I'll, I'll hopefully survive whatever comes during the show. And you told me, uh, right when I walked into your house, that TMZ had been by. TMZ called and they, uh, oh, they called? I Skyped, they, I Skyped they, with oh, okay. Harvey. So obviously they today, didn't roll up to your house. today Trump had, uh, you know, tweeted that he was President mocking elect Trump. President elect Trump. Probably president by the time you listen to this. Was saying that, uh, the ratings were nowhere near what they were when he was on. And then Schwarzenegger replied and said, well, I hope you put as much effort into helping the people as you do worrying about the ratings. <laughs> And I thought it was a diplomatic exchange. And look, I'm, you know, I, I think we all kind of expected Trump to weigh on in this. And yeah. there's, there was no, you know, he, he can always find an upset. If the show was a massive hit, of course, it's only a hit because people are curious about this mm-hmm. show that he was involved with. If the show didn't do well, the, the ratings weren't great. Then it's only because he's no longer a part of it. So he's, you know, he finds a way to make it a win-win for himself. You told me before we started recording that you would also, you're, you're a fan of the roast battles, but you're not a fan of roasting. I can't yourself. do it. I so I did. I made the mistake of trying to do a roast, thinking, you know what? I I mean, I I believe I'm a funny guy, and I mm-hmm. believe I could do a roast. But I realized I am uncomfortable being an asshole to people's faces, and and subsequently, like I I, I remember who was it? Uh, was it Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill, I, I think, did such a good job where Which, he took what was a the positive spin. Oh, so I did Dennis Rodman's roast at the Friars Club. In New York. And yeah, and it was, uh, who, Gino Bisconti was there, Nick Stevens, and then it was like Brandy Roderick, uh, John Sally. Mm-hmm. And I went up and I bombed. I bombed. And like, the problem was, I think I, I, I'd written the jokes and had a friend from Sports Soup help me write who's mm-hmm. a funny guy. I just couldn't, I, I'm uncomfortable being mean to people's faces and I was trying to be mean, like in a funny way. And I just, I couldn't sell the jokes and I, I ate it. And I was just, it was one of those things where you have to know what you're good at. And like, I'll watch a lot of comics. Like I, I'm a fairly clean, innocuous comic, but I love watching a guy like Doug Stanhope or Jim Norton or someone who will push the limits. I love what they do. I can't do it. But I love what they do. And I've realized with roasts, a lot of times I will enjoy a good roast. Um, but I, it's one of those things that I can't, I can't do. Have you also, you've also never, it sounds like never really tr- given a shot at straight acting either. I have. I've, I've done, I've done a, a, a bit of acting. I just haven't gotten many opportunities. But most of the stuff so you've done been some being sitcom yourself. stuff. It's all been comedic. Like I've done, I've done some small stuff, sitcom and some web series. Um, I, I think maybe it's a hint for how well, how good I am at it. The fact that I haven't gotten cast more. <laughs> I, I had, I had a small role in Transformers too. Um, but it's, I, I honestly, at this point, I mostly what I get called for is hosting. Mm-hmm. And while I would love to act and have the opportunity, I don't think I'm doing it enough. It's, it's almost like the, you know, the arrogance of saying like, I play baseball. And because I'm an athlete, I could go play basketball. Like, no, you have to train at basketball. It's like thinking I'm hosting and doing comedy is going to make me an actor. It's it's right. not. You know, you really – they're separate skills and you have to be working at it. I don't think I've been working hard enough in my acting. Why do you suppose it is that there's at least a handful of us from the same college class who none of us started out 
in show business or comedy, but there's several of us who have migrated there eventually. It's funny, and I think I think that as I look at Harvard having the lampoon, they really have a, a feeding ground of mm-hmm. where they breed that talent. When I looked at Princeton, I don't think performing arts were really very much encouraged. You know, McCarter and Triangle a right. little bit. Right. Ryan um, McDonough did some Triangle. Mark Feuerstein did theater on team, I think. Yeah. And like, like I, I remember trying to take an acting class, but I couldn't because it conflicted with the pre-med classes. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I never felt like at Princeton, the arts, performing arts were really encouraged as a serious career. And I also felt like other than Dean Kane and Brooke Shields and Brooke had come into it as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, that there were a lot of people going into Hollywood. So I, I think, I think there, I, I, there are a lot of incredibly talented people in our class in various ways. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, Princeton really developed more the, the business angle of what your career would be. So I think we kind of have found our niche despite probably our education, although what I would say, what I would, what I've noticed is I think having, having been to Princeton and having done medical school, I think the, the work ethic that we learn there uh, has definitely served us well. And I think as I look at this business, even though it's very much a, a creative business, there is an element of if you just work hard enough, you'll have some degree of success and the professionalism that it gives you. Um, you know, when I look at, you know, Apprentice actually was a great example of it is like I was I was surprised how much work we actually have to do for mm-hmm. these challenges. And what I felt is it was honestly it's the hardest I've worked since medical school in terms of here you're given a task. Here's a 20 page dossier on what you can and can't do. Here's some resources. And it was really fun to feel like, OK, I'm I'm going to grind again. Like, here it is. We've got a deadline. I need to figure out how to be a value add in all these various situations mm-hmm. and work with people who are very talented in some areas and maybe not in others and how to get the most out of all of it. And it really was, I felt like having had the experience in the, um, having that ability to, to work hard and to, to be able to grind under pressure that we really develop in college and then grad school. I think that, that really probably was the skill set that most helped me during apprentice rather than as I look at most of the other performance stuff that, you know, Stand-up comedy, I, you know, performed a couple times, but mm-hmm. it really was that day-to-day ability to grind and the discipline. I think in that, you know, we're used to that. When I think when you kind of get a deadline, like, okay, let's do this. We'll stay up for a week. We'll do it. So if, say, at our 25th reunion, uh, we're on a- Which is shockingly close we're, now. We're on a panel and um, some senior or, or freshman even asks you for advice, like, what- what should they do? Since, general since, career, since, entertainment since, advice, no, or in general? In general advice, because like, well, you, because I, you you went to med school, but then ended up in this completely yeah, different I, field. Like, I, what? Here's here's the thing, and I don't know how it was for you, Sean, but I, I I definitely felt when I was in college that there was a lot of pressure because I felt like everyone else knew what they wanted to do, mm-hmm. whether they were right or not, or whether they were having the same doubts or kind of looking around. I I guess my message would be to anyone like. Don't feel you need to figure out exactly what you want to do. Don't feel that you have to, in college, know what your career would be and study it here. My advice to people is this is a life is a marathon. 
and study something that ignites a passion in you because I think a discovering and nurturing that passion um, will probably bring out the best you and encourage uh, you to develop the best skills and skills that will serve you well the rest of your life. And then, you know, whether you think you're going into business, whatever it is to, to feel that, to feel that what you want to develop, I just develop your mind, develop your ability to learn and your passion. And then, um, and, and to, to feel okay saying, I don't necessarily know what I want to do. I, you know, if I, if you get a job in, in wall street or whatever, or, or having the ability to say, I'm going to take some time and travel or, or, or get a job knowing that this isn't the job I'm going to have the rest of my life, but I'm going to try to learn from it. I think that I, I felt there was a lot of pressure to, to get, to get an impressive job on wall street and to kind of feel the competition yeah. amongst your peers. And, you know, uh, that's a certain amount of that's inescapable. Obviously anyone who goes there, we're used to being, you know, you're used to being an achiever and it's hard for people to say, I don't know what I want to do. And I'm just going to take some time to enjoy it. Or <laughs> to say, I've spent a lot of money on college and now I'm going to go get a job, you know, that, that isn't going to be six figures and on wall street. Right. My, my first job out of, out of Princeton was, uh, I was a daily newspaper reporter in twin falls, Idaho. And my salary was $22,000. Right. <laughs> But but I would tell people like it's okay it was, to do uh, that. And uh, how how many people do you know who've had the same job since college or even the same field? Most of my friends, all of my friends have switched jobs. Mm -hmm. Every single like I can think of forty guys. They've all switched at least jobs at least once. Many of them have switched even fields of focus. Um, not to say that what they studied wasn't pertinent, but but I think this to to. Get rid of the notion that you're going to get the job that you'll have the rest of your life when you leave college and to feel, to just tell people, you know, find, find something you're passionate about. Because I think, um, I think the people who've in, who of, of my friends who've done the, the best and who are the happiest are the ones who've found a job that they really like. And for a lot of them, it is finance or law or whatever, some of these high powered careers, but they're passionate about it, which I think is is the key thing is to find something you really love because you see it. Um, life is short and you, you know, it's, I, I think you don't want to ideally you have a job that doesn't feel like a job or at least you're excited to go do it and that you're not doing it just to get a paycheck because you know, it becomes golden handcuffs where you're kind of wed to that and you're spending money. And it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I would encourage people to find something they love doing. Well, you know, to heck with what the media says about the over-caffeinated Matt Eisman. <laughs> I'm glad that I know the passionate Matt Eisman. It's, it's, it's a uh, passion. It's the passion. Well, it's ridiculous. I, I, when I look at it, when I tell people in medicine, I used to get the Sunday blues. Like I would feel when I'd be going into the hospital on call, mm -hmm. I would have that pit in my stomach like you'd get when you were in elementary school. And it was Sunday at 6 p.m. Like I have to go to school the next day. And I hated that feeling because it, it meant I, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was serving my patients well or myself. And now like, you know, when I go do apprentice or when I go do Ninja warrior, I'm like, this is a, this is a blast. It's ridiculous that I'm getting paid to do this. It is kind of ridiculous. It's absurd. <laughs> I mean, like, again, I, I, I put makeup on somebody. I'm, glad that you know I'm, I'm talking ridiculous. about ninjas. It is. It's a joke what I get to do. And it's, it's. <laughs> The opportunities that I've been getting 
have been awesome. I, I, I love it. I love what I do. And I, 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 I'm so glad that I took the chance leaving medicine and, and now I'm doing this. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. We're living the dream. We all. We really are. It's, <laughs> it's freaking great. Well, thanks for uh, sharing part of it with Sean, me Sean, my pleasure, buddy. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.